0: This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Hey, it's um, sort of fun sometimes to, to turn the music down a little bit and the worship up, and it is good for our souls to lift Jesus high this morning, isn't it? Um, so here's the deal. Uh, my hope is you have an idea of where we're going after singing those songs, okay? So um, those songs are who we are theologically. Those, th- those songs are what we believe at the very core of our being here at South. So if this is your first time or your first time in a long time, you just got to refresh your course on our statement of belief. Jesus. Let's pray, and we're going to jump into the scriptures. So Father, we would ask, Spirit, we would ask that you would reveal Christ. Because as your holy scriptures say, It's in seeing him that we are transformed. So help us see, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, My wife Kelly and I met on a backpacking trail a number of years ago, and. I felt like I'd made quite the impression on on her. I mean, things had gone well on that trail. I I was convinced that if I could talk her into it, I was going to marry her. Um, I wasn't sure that she was as committed as I was, but nonetheless, she had thrown out on the trail, hey, if you ever want to come down to Durango and spend some time in Durango and hang out, uh, it's an open invitation. I filed that away in the very front of my um, file cabinet. We got off the trail after spending a week together. I waited all of two days. I'm not exactly a let's wait and see what happens kind of guy. I'm, a, I'm more of a let's make it happen kind of guy. So I called her house. Now, this is back in the day when phones were attached to the wall. <laughs> so for, for everybody under the age of you know 18 in here, I, it was terrible. So you had to call and actually talk to somebody's parents in order to ask them out on a date. Which parents, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Not a bad idea still. (laughs) So um, I called, her dad answered the phone. Her dad was a football coach for 20 years in Durango, a small Colorado town. And he says, hello. I said, hi, this is Ryan, is Kelly there? And I hear him yell to Kelly, "Um, Kelly, Ryan's on the phone. And Kelly yells back, Ryan who? So evidently I didn't make as great of an impression as I thought. And so I said, hey, does the offer still stand to come down? I'm still not taking no for an Like, Does the offer still stand to come down and visit you? She said, yes, absolutely. And um, so this is before you could just plug an address into your phone and it would tell you how to get there. So I went out and I got a map and looked up Durango and figured out how to get there. And she said, all right, when you get into the town, it's basically one street in town, you're gonna make a left at Mustang and then you're gonna weave up and you'll eventually get to where I live. She gave me the directions and I asked my parents, "Can I, um, can I borrow one of the cars?" And and I didn't have a car at this point in time. And they said, "Well, no, we're using both of them this weekend." And I said, "Fine." I went out and I bought a car. <laughs> I got in my car. I drove down, and I said, "I, I said, quote, I mean, I'd seen Goodwill Hunting a few times. I said, I gotta go see about a girl." right? So I I get in my car, I drive down there, and I cruise into uh, Durango, and I drive all the way through Main Street, and it's not that long, and I don't see Mustang, and that's my street. I'm looking for Mustang, and I come back through, and I still don't see it, and I do that a number of times, and and Kelly was at work at this point in time, so, um, and there was no way to really call her at work before cell phones, right? And so I, I go back through again, and I'm like, I didn't just buy a car to come down and see about a girl for it to end up like this, right? And as I'm driving back through the final time, because I found it eventually, um, I'm driving back through, I see a gas station named the Mustang. <laughs> and at that point, I reconsidered everything. I got, stayed in my car, I turned around, and I drove home. No, I'm just kidding. I did not. I didn't. I didn't. And I realized, though, that although Kelly is brilliant and beautiful, and here right now, um, (laughs) that she's geographically and directionally challenged. so I'm like, I'm going back the whole way, the whole way, the whole way. And what I realized in doing that is if I have the wrong goal, I'll never end up in the right destination. And the same is true for your life and mine. If we have the wrong goal, we'll never end up in the right destination. See, you can plug an address into the GPS on your phone, and it'll take you there if you follow the directions most of the time. But if it's the wrong address, who really cares? Uh, I read this book a while back by a guy in the name of Bob Goff, and here's what he says in it. He says, I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me. But now I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. The goal matters, doesn't it? The goal matters. The goal matters in life. We, all of us have read stories or heard testimony of people on their deathbed reevaluating everything they did. And like a sandcastle built right on the shore, the wave is just going to come up and take it down. And it's moments in life, significant moments of life, that we have a clarity of the things that really indeed do matter that the goal of making money really in the grand scheme of things pales in comparison to the goal of making friends. But we very rarely have that goal in mind. The the goal of knowing and being known is far greater than the goal of being famous. Hey, none of us, none of us, none of us are going to lay on our deathbed and go, I really wish I would have updated my Facebook a few more times. (laughs) We're just not. I wish my social media presence had a little bit larger reach. (laughs) Never. It's not going to happen. See, the goals that we embrace will eventually determine the destination that we end up at. The same is true in the reading of the scriptures, that the goal that we have when we come to the scriptures is going to determine where we end up. And can I put my cards on the table? I think a lot of us have the wrong goal. I think a lot of us have the wrong goal. I think we have the wrong destination in mind. I think we're looking for a street named Mustang and we're not gonna find it. And this is the reason that as you interact with people and if you tell people, if this is indeed where, you are, where you're at this morning, if you tell people you're a follower of Jesus and they're not, they're gonna respond with, well, do you, do you really believe the Bible? Do you take the Bible Literally. And how do you reconcile a portrait of God in the Old Testament that sometimes doesn't look like what we see in Jesus in the New Testament? You ever heard that question? Okay, let's take our halos off for a moment. You ever had that question? Because I'll stand before you as your pastor and go, I have only every time I read it. Only every time I read. And regardless of how intellectually we can be and and regardless of how much we think we can unpack the argument, there's still some questions that we have. God, sometimes it looks like you ordain things in the Old Testament like genocide that just don't look like Jesus saying, well, if somebody wrongs you, turn the other cheek. And if they take your cloak, give them your tunic also, and they make you go one mile, go with them two. And we go, well, God, it just, some of this just doesn't seem to add up. And here's why, here's why, here's why. Because we're looking for Mustang. That's why. We have the wrong goal. So my, my goal this morning is to reaffirm what Scripture says is the goal of you reading the Bible. No small task, and there's no small disparagement amongst followers of Jesus about what the goal is. But here's the thing. There was no ambiguity in the life of Jesus as far as what the goal of reading the Bible was. Listen to what he says. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 5 with me. John chapter 5. And here, listen to the words of the one whom we've sung about and have declared is the Messiah. He says... Speaking to the Pharisees who are trying to catch him in uh, in a tough spot. They want to test him. They want a reason to kill him. And he responds to them by saying, you search the scriptures. Now, for us, that would be the Old Testament. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That's your goal. That's your mustang. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And he goes on. And he says, and it is they that, what? Bear witness. Bear witness. It's the scriptures. They, they testify about me. The whole story is about me, Jesus says. Yet, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, here's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to redefine the way and the reason that you open your Bible. He wants to redefine the goal when you read the scriptures. Because the goal of reading the scriptures is not to know the scriptures. Did you know that? You can know the whole thing cover to cover. You can, hey, you can memorize the whole thing and still miss the point. You can go to it and still be searching for Mustang and never find it. That's what he says to the Pharisees. Now, remember, these are the religious elite. When he says, you search the scriptures, he means you have plumbed the depths of them. You've given your life to them. You've memorized Torah. You recite Shema three times a day. You are living into, you are giving your life to this book. But you missed the point. You missed the point. Did you catch it? Jesus redefines the goal, and having the right goal is the thing that leads us to the right destination. Here's what the goal is. To come to Jesus that you may, what? Have life. You see, the whole point is a person. The whole entire point of the scriptures is a person. We'll say it like this today. The point of the scriptures is to lead us to the person of Jesus, period, period. If the scriptures don't lead us to Christ, then we have missed the point. So you're saying, so wait, Paulson, I can have like my whole entire Awana sash like with all of the little thingies that I have on them and I can miss the point? Yes, yes. You're saying, Paulson, I could read the 30 days and, that we're doing, we're doing together at South Fellowship and miss the point, yes. You're saying I could memorize all the scriptures and miss the point, yes, except that this is one of the scriptures <laughs> that we're asking you to memorize in hopes that we don't miss the point because the point is a person. His name is Jesus. See, the goal of reading the scriptures is not to find evidence that demands a verdict, The goal of reading the scriptures is to have an encounter with the one who says, I'm over it all. The goal of reading the scriptures is not to acquire more information, although information is good and information is absolutely necessary. It's just not the goal. The goal is not to acquire more information. It's to receive and respond to the invitation of Jesus. You refuse to come to me and have a life. And I think for, if I could sort of put my cards on the table, I think if we've missed it anywhere in modern current evangelicalism, it's that we've confused Christianity with Biblicism. We take the Bible seriously, yes, but the Bible is not our Lord. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Bible. (laughs) No, 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 no. no. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, to me. It is he who holds the authority. See, the scriptures are not an end in and of themselves. They're not a cul-de-sac that we get into and continually go around. They're a portal to relationship with the living God. That's what they are. They're a portal into relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, post Enlightenment thinking has taught us to read the Bible for answers. But Jesus invites us to read the Bible for encounter. It's clear. It is absolutely clear. Now, do we need answers? Yes. Are answers good? Yes. Will you ever bow down and worship an answer? Come on, people. No, 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 absolutely not. We will bow down and worship a person for all eternity. The Bible will not be on the throne. Jesus will. Jesus will. And that changes the way that we read it. And I think a lot of us are looking for Mustang. We're looking for the Bible to worship. But the Bible says that's not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is to lead us to Jesus, and Jesus is who we worship. I, I love the way that... Dr. Mark Strauss puts it, he says, our passion should not be for the scripture per se. He says this tongue in cheek, but per se. He says, but for the one who reveals himself in the scriptures. We have a relationship with a person, not a relationship with a book. In the great old hymn, um, evidently Mary um, (laughs) said, she says, beyond the Sacred page, I seek thee, Lord, my spirit. Beyond, beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord, my spirit longs of thee, O living word. So, why is having Jesus as the goal so important? Well, because whatever our goal is, it shapes the direction and that we go. It shapes the course of our life. If my goal in coming to the scriptures is to know the scriptures, I can get into a dead end cul-de-sac where I know them but miss the point. But if my goal is I want to hear the words of life that are Jesus, the living word, God incarnate, human flesh, if that's my goal, well, then I can come to Jesus and have eternal life that the scriptures point to. And I would say, anecdotally, that a number of the discussions that we have about, well, I don't get this about the Bible and I don't get that and I don't understand why God looks a little bit different in the Old Testament than he does in the New, could actually be answered if we understood this concept a little bit better. And so let me attempt, let me attempt I want to answer the question How does having an understanding of Jesus as the point shape everything? Everything. And I'll argue today that it does. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time together. To see that the Bible is indeed revelation. And at its heart, it is revealing not something, but it's showing us someone. Hebrews chapter one, are we there? If you're new to the Bible, it's towards the back. If you don't have a Bible at all, it'll be on the screen to my left and my right. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one on the way out. It's our gift to you. But this is what the author of Hebrews says. He writes this, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our Father's by the prophets. Now, I'm convinced that when he says long ago, many times, and in many ways, he's talking about the Old Testament Bible that you have in your hand right now. He spoke to us through the prophets. They they, they wrote things down for us. They recorded the oracles of God according to the book of Romans. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, right, okay, so here's the deal. Anytime I put my finger under a word, just read the word above it. But, right, right, right. So in contrast, in contrast to the way that God formerly spoke, he's spoken differently now. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Okay, so here's what the author of Hebrews just did. He said, all right, in the past, The way that God declared things was through the prophets, was through the writings, was through the law, was through Torah. But now, now things have changed and God has a different word for us today. His word has a name and the name is Jesus. And so we'll say it like this. Why is it so important to have the right goal when we go to the scriptures? Well, because Jesus is The definitive word of God. Do you know that the term the word of God is used over 41 times in the scriptures and less than a handful of those times does it actually refer to anything written down? Say that again. The term the word of God is used a lot of times in what we would call the word of God. Only what we call the word of God, the scriptures usually don't. The word of God in the scriptures is the declaration and message of Jesus. The apostles speak the word of God, and what they're not doing is reading from a book. They're telling a gospel message. That's number one. Number two, the word of God in the scriptures is the person of Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word became a book, Well, that's often how we'd think about it. It No, 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 no. I'm just quoting from John. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. The word of God is the person of God. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So, implications. Implications. When we go to the scriptures, if Jesus is what God has to say, And that's what the author of Hebrews just said. Jesus is what God has to say. If that's true, then we cannot read the Bible like we read a cookbook. We can't read the Bible and have everything mean the same thing. And we can't give weight to everything. If you read a cookbook, you need to put all the recipes, or if you just open your Facebook and see all those ridiculous videos about recipes going around right now that all make me really hungry. Okay, so... Whatever, but you don't, you, every ingredient is needed and necessary and each ingredient carries the same weight. You can't read the Bible like a cookbook. If Jesus is what God has to say, which is what the, book, what the author of Hebrews just said, we don't read Jesus alongside of other passages in the Bible. We read Jesus on top of other passages in the Bible. He is our lens, through which we read the entire Old Testament. He is the lens by which we interact with all of the portraits of God that we have, and we'll get to that in just a second. He is the definitive word of God, the lens through which we read all of scriptures, all all of the scriptures. See, we tend to read the Bible as a flat text. We tend to read the Bible as a flat text, but it's not. At least according to Jesus, it's not. It's dynamic, it's living, it's active, and we don't put Jesus alongside of other texts in the scriptures. We, we put him above other texts in the scriptures, and he's the lens, why? Because he's the point that we read the entire Bible through. See, we only... Begin to see how Jesus reframes the storyline of God's dealing with his people if we place his revelation over all previous revelations. That's how we read the Bible. And so let me make three points on that because I know some of you are going, you're you're either scratching your head or you're picking up stones, okay? (laughs) Hopefully it's scratching the head, but... Listen, I understand, these are, these are difficult things, but number one, here's what we see. The entire scripture points to Jesus, and all I'm doing is getting, and listening to the words of Jesus. So he says, on the road to Emmaus, he's interacting with people as he walks down, he says, at the beginning, and beginning with Moses and how many? All, all the prophets, so the entire Old Testament, he Interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In some other translations, it'll say he, he unpacked, that's my words, he unpacked how everything pointed to him. I mean, can you imagine what this walk must have been like? I mean, this is, would be like having a cup of coffee with William Shakespeare and walking through Hamlet or Macbeth with him and having him go, Oh, yeah, did you catch that illusion there? I'm like, I didn't catch any of them, Billy. Like, none. <laughs> None. And he's like, no, 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 let's talk a little bit more. I mean, can you imagine Jesus unpacking the Old Testament with the point, this was all about me, always has been, always will be, always will be. Second, the revelation of Jesus carries more weight. The revelation of Jesus carries more weight than what we had previously in the law and the prophets. I'll say it like this, I'm gonna say it delicately, but you can write this down, this is where I stand. Everything in the scripture is equally inspired, but not everything in the scripture is equally applicable. And here's how I know you agree with me. Here's how I know you agree with me. Because all of you are wearing clothes with at least two threads on them, two types of threads on them today. Because most of us indulged in God's gift of bacon at some point within the last few days, probably, right? Praise be to Jesus. None of you have stoned anybody, right? You see, all of we, this is the way we read the Bible. I'm just saying it. We do not apply all sections of the scriptures equally. Now, that does not mean that they're not all equally inspired. We firmly believe that they are all equally inspired, but they are not all equally applicable today because of Jesus. See, you read the Bible like this, I read the Bible like this, we just need to admit that this is true, and then we have to sort of unpack a grid of how, well, then how do we decide, Paulson, because you're just going to pick and choose then. Absolutely not, absolutely not. I'm going to pick Jesus, and I'm going to let him choose. How's that? Is that good? Good? Now, just so you don't think I'm making this stuff up, here's what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 36. He's Speaking to the Pharisees, he says, but the testimony that I have is, what, greater than that of John. He goes, the works of the, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness. They are the truth about me that the Father has sent me. You know what's interesting is that earlier Jesus said that there's nobody more prominent born among women than whom? John. And so, what Jesus just said, what Jesus just said is, my words and my works are weightier than John's, and John's are the weightiest we've ever seen. So, he put them on a scale. Undoubtedly, he put them on a scale. Entire scripture points to Jesus. The revelation of Jesus carries more weight than the law and the prophets. And three, the revelation of Jesus supersedes the law and the prophets. Jesus is the final word and he reframes the way that we see the entire scripture. The entire scripture. Let's, let me explain it like this. Um, have anybody seen the movie The Sixth Sense? Okay. Now there's a huge spoiler alert but it's, the statute of limitations is over. It's been 15 years. Okay. See, you had time to see it. If you didn't by now, you can either plug plug your ears or you're not gonna see it, right? Um, So the whole movie, this little boy, quote unquote, sees dead people. And we think the whole time that there's this character played by Bruce Willis. We think he's alive the whole time. And then you remember the ring falls off at the very end and you're like, he's been dead the whole movie. No way. Well, you can never go back and watch The Sixth Sense in the same way. Because you know this is what it's pointing to. This is the culmination of the movie. And once you know that all the scriptures point to Jesus, you can never read it the same. He stands above it all. He stands above it all. He reframes the whole story. Let me show you two instances where he does this explicitly. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, okay, so here, all he did, all he did was quote from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 19. And what he's not going to do is say, yeah, let's do that. That's a good idea. If you want to say it crassly, Jesus, he doesn't disagree with the scriptures. He just takes it further than the scriptures originally took it. And further than anybody would have imagined. See, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth for for this uh, Near East culture like Israel was actually a way to limit retribution. It was a picture of grace back then. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm taking this even further than limited retribution. I'm taking it to no retribution. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, I'm gonna reinterpret this. I'm gonna redefine it. I'm gonna take it further. Why? Because I stand above it. Do not resist the one who's evil, but if anybody slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other. He goes, I stand above it all. I can can do this. I'm Jesus. John chapter 8. I won't go through this whole thing. In John chapter 8, there's a woman caught in the act of adultery. The law in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 24 would say, that, we, that they should stone this woman caught in adultery. Technically, technically, it said that they should stone the man and the woman. Now, that's a whole other story as to why the man's not there, if they were caught in the act, right? There's probably a guy there too, but they're into redefining the law anyway. Jesus calls them on it. He says, teacher, they wanna catch him. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Just write in your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 24. Yes and amen. Yes, he did. Yes, it did. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the dirt. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. You really wanna play this game of law? Because all of you, are guilty under the law. Psst, look up at me. That's the point of the law. That's the point of the law. We are all guilty under it. We all fall short. Tell me you wouldn't tremble if you were in the same position and Jesus bent down to start writing in the dirt about you. No, never mind. No, we're good. She's good. See, he stands above it. He reframes for us the word of God, the word of God. Number one, if you're going, Paulson, this is going to go long. I promise it won't go too long, okay? Notice I chose my words carefully. (laughs) Hebrews chapter one, verse three. So, number one, why does it matter and why is Jesus the goal? Because he is the definitive word of God. If you don't write down anything else for that point, simply write down, Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is what God has to say. Two, he is Jesus, the radiance, the splendor of the glory of God. Oh, man. See, because the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge, but they don't even come close to displaying the glory of God as is found in the face of Jesus Christ. The And, and he is the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his nature power. So, Jesus is what God is like, or Jesus is what God has to say, and Jesus is what God is like. Jesus is, according to the book of Hebrews, and this is why it's so important that we read the Bible through the lens of what is the goal? The goal is to know Jesus, because Jesus is the exact representation of God. Jesus is the exact representation of God. So, say this as carefully as I can. The Bible is not the full revelation of God. Jesus is. Jesus is. And you're going, the stones you put down a second ago, you're like, all right, you talked me off the ledge Pauls. You just picked back up, right? Now, I'm not saying that the Bible isn't completely true. It is. I'm not saying that the Bible is um, not inspired. I 100% believe that it is. But Jesus is not only what God has to say, but Jesus is definitively what God is like. His glory, the glory of God is captured in and only fully in the person of Jesus, and the person of Jesus, See, glory is this idea of like weightiness or splendor or invisible attributes being made known. And the author of Hebrews says, if you want to know what God is like, you look no further than his son. And Jesus would affirm this in John chapter 14, verse 9. Um, Philip says to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. And he responds by saying, if you've seen me, you've seen him. If you've seen me, you've seen him. Um, In the ancient world, they would have these presses that made coins, and typically the coin would have on the face of it the picture of an emperor. And this is the illustration that the author of Hebrews is pulling into, and he says he's the exact imprint of his nature. It's as if to say that throughout history, previous to Jesus, God has been sending sketches, but now he's given, stamp, the exact representation of who he is in Jesus. The exact representation of who he is in Jesus. Jesus is, write this down, Jesus is what God is like. Jesus is what God is like. Now, In the book of John, you're going to see, even in the first chapter, the first 18 verses, you can read through that and see most of what I've already said. John gets a little bit more nuanced and intentional towards the end, though, and listen to what he says. He says, "For from his, from Jesus' fullness, we have all received what? Grace. Grace upon grace. Oh, what a glorious statement, is it not? He says, for the law was given through Moses. So he's going to start making a distinction. The law, given through Moses. But, but, grace and truth came through Jesus. They have different points. They have different purposes. But if you want to know what God is like, don't look to the law, although that reveals a portion of what God is like, no doubt. Is the law false? No, it's not. It's true. It's good. It reflects God's nature and character imperfectly. I'm not making this up. Grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. But what has he made known? God. What is God like? Grace upon grace. Oh, come on, church. That's great news, is it not? You're like, huh? That's one. That's wonderful. No, that's breathtaking. That this is what God is like. And so when we read portraits that don't seem to line up with this, people have issues with that. I admitted I have issues with that. What we say, and what the scriptures say is not that the Old Testament in any way, shape, or form is untrue or false or bad history. No. What we say is that it's a shadow of the reality that's seen in Jesus. That's what it is. But if you want to see the real thing, if you want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. I love the way that N.T. Wright, the great New Testament scholar, put it when he said this. He said, "'When travelers sail across a vast ocean "'and finally arrive on the distant shore, "'they leave the ship behind and continue overland, "'not because the ship was no good "'or because their voyage had been misguided, "'but precisely because both ship and voyage "'had accomplished their purpose.'" during their new dry land stage of the journey, the travelers, the people who made the voyage, um, the travelers are the people who made that voyage in the ship end up where they were going. He's going, but there's two stages to the story and we need to read the Bible aware of that. It makes all the difference in the world. makes all the difference in the world. In fact, Paul would even say, for Christ is the end of the law. The, the, the end in the sense that he's the goal and the end in the sense that it's terminated because he has fulfilled it. He's fulfilled it. All right, let's skip some of that. Continuing and finally, he says this. He says that he's the radiance of the glory of God. If you wanna know what God is like, look at Jesus. He's the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. I love this because the author of Hebrews is gonna circle back around to the fact that Jesus is the great high priest and that he doesn't offer sacrifice year after year, but he offered sacrifice once and for all in his body given and his blood shed on the cross. And friends, you have a savior who is seated. Now, That didn't hit you the way that I hoped it would, okay? Here's why that's huge, because Jesus is done with his work. The work of salvation is accomplished in the person of Christ. And so Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is what God is like. And Jesus is the culmination of the mission of God to seek and to save the lost, of whom you and I are. Jesus is the completion of God's salvation plan and the greatest picture we have of Jesus is in the giving of his life on the cross for you and for me His mission of self-sacrificial love redeems humanity, redeems humankind. And so in that, zoom out for a second, circle back around to what I just said. If the mission of Jesus is completed in the cross where Jesus would rather die for his enemies than kill his enemies, that's what God is like. That's what God is like. That is God chasing after humanity saying, I will not let sin get Death, get the final word. I love you enough to redeem you. I love you enough to redeem you. And so Paul approaches the church at Corinth and he says, I know nothing except Christ crucified. And that's enough. And that's enough. I love the way that Martin Luther says it. He says, when I read the scripture, I only know Christ crucified. That's it. And in Christ crucified, what we see is the wrath of God satisfied poured out on Jesus, taking the place of humanity. We see in the cross that God indeed does hate evil. He hates it enough to redeem it. That's how much he hates it by his own blood, to step into the story and to say, I love my creation enough not to condemn them, but to redeem them and to bring them back. That's what God is like. He hates injustice. He hates evil. He hates it so much that he steps into the story and says, I refuse to let the story end without my blood redeeming humankind. That's what, the that's way, what, we have to read the Bible that way. Way. It reveals that God hates sin and it reveals the extent of his love for you and I. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the grave. Amen, amen, amen. 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 See, Jesus claims to have fulfill the scriptures. Yes, he does. But not by accomplishing every command exactly the way that it's written. That's not how he fulfills the scriptures. Just read his interaction with Sabbath alone. He intentionally breaks, if you're reading through Luke with us, you saw this. He intentionally breaks the Sabbath to make the point that Sabbath is not about taking a day to rest. Sabbath is about finding true rest for your soul in a person whose name is Jesus. He is what Sabbath was a shadow and he is what Sabbath is pointing to. He is the true home for exiles. He is both the judge and the defender. He is the ultimate covenant saying, you are now found and shaped by my sacrifice and my blood. He is the kingdom and everything God is working towards and lifting up. See, when Jesus speaks of being the fulfillment, he's not meaning that he accomplishes every command exactly as it was written but that he completes the story of God's redemption and love for humankind with his own body given and his blood shed. That's what he means. See, I think a lot of us are looking for Mustang. And so we read the Bible and we're, we're, looking, for, we're looking for answers that the Bible doesn't even ask questions about. And we don't read it nuanced enough and we don't read it intentional enough to see that the entire point of it is Jesus, is Jesus, that he stands above it all. He is the point. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. In it we see love declared, sin atoned for and forgiven and mission accomplished. Jesus A is what God has to say. Jesus is what God is like and Jesus is the completed mission of God. Therefore, I'm gonna end with this. The Bible leads us to a person to walk with, not a program to follow. A person to walk with, not a program to follow. The Bible leads us to a community to belong to, not commandments to execute, and I would say not primarily commandments to execute because you're gonna go, Paulson, are there are we supposed to follow the Bible? Yes, and amen. Please come back next week, we're gonna talk all about that. <laughs> but the fact that you eat shellfish shows me that's not as easy of a question to answer as we might think it is. Leave it at that. But the invitation is to a community to belong to rather than just. Well, what does it say? I'm gonna do that. No, it's a part of being a part of a community that preaches and speaks and encounters the living word, Jesus, the Messiah. And it's a story to be found in, not strategies simply to implement. I think a lot of us are looking for Mustang. We're driving down the road. We, we open the Bible every single day and we drive right by the point. See, because the point is a person and his name is Jesus. And he invites us to walk with him, to know him, to encounter him, not just to find evidence that would suggest that he existed. That's all there, but that's not the point. The point isn't evidence. The point is encounter. The point isn't information, it's invitation. We can have all the information in the world and miss the point. Because the point is a person. It always has been according to Jesus and it always will be. The point has a name. His name is Jesus. He and he alone sits enthroned above the universe. Angels and saints bow down and they worship him you and i join with all of creation in giving him honor and giving him glory he is the point of all of god's creation including the holy scriptures they point us to the living word better than anything else but the living word's name is jesus the messiah read to know and encounter him let's pray So Jesus, it's all all about you. You're sufficient, you're enough, you're good. And Lord, in the difficulty of trying to understand how the whole Bible works together to point to you, would you open our eyes? Would you shed grace on us that we might not only understand, that's really important, but Jesus, would you help us to see Because we know that the same voice that spoke into darkness and created light also speaks into our lives. And you often speak into our lives through your word and your spirit illuminating your word. And we pray, would you just continue to do that? The same voice that spoke light into darkness would shine on our hearts and ultimately that you would show us the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Lord, help us know you through your scriptures. It's in the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.